again, good morning. Um, we're going to be starting our Christmas series this morning. The title of our series is going to be For Unto Us a Child is Born. We're going to be taking our text every week out of Isaiah 9, 6a. We're going to use the uh, New King James Version because I like the way it sounds and this is kind of what I'm used to. So, so this is what it says in Isaiah 9, 6a. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. One of the things that I've learned as a father and as an uncle and all those things that go along with it is anytime a child is born, a child brings stuff. Okay? A child always brings stuff. I always like that thought, you know, what it, when you come into the world, you got nothing. You know, no, a child brings things every time a child is born. It doesn't matter who the child is, it brings things. Like, let me give you an example. When, when Easton was born, he brought with him a title for me, Dad. When my, when my nephew was born, he brought a title for me, uncle, okay? When, 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 when kids are born, they bring things to us. They bring joy. They bring, uh, for some of us, they bring uh, sleepless nights early on in, in childhood. You know, all those things. A child always brings things. And it's interesting here that as we look at Isaiah, as he's obviously talking about Jesus, that he's talking about this idea of a child being given to us. And, and, Christmas is about lots of things, but, but it's about a baby being born, the Son of God coming, being born in a manger to come and rescue us from our sins. Jesus brought stuff, and we got stuff when Jesus was born. And so what we're going to be doing in this series is, is and trust me, we'll get to Jesus' birth in a couple of weeks, but in this series, we're going to look at some births in the Bible and what they brought. Because here's the thing. I believe everything in the Bible is there for a reason. It's there for a purpose. There's no mistakes in it. There's not like God said, you know, this isn't important to include or this is or whatever. But there's some interesting birth stories that we see in Scripture. And what's interesting to me also is there's some birth stories that are left out. We just spend a lot of time studying the life of David. We don't have David's birth, okay? We, but we have other people's births. So the births that are there are there to show us things, to teach us things, to give us things. And during this month of December, we're going to look at some of those births and look at them to help us understand this season, understand what God wants to do in us and through us. And this morning, we're going to look at the story of the birth of Isaac. We're going to look at the story of the birth of Isaac. But before we jump into his story, let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. God, we thank you for this morning that we've had so far. God, the worship and communion and, and Advent, all these things have been so great. And Father, I just thank you for them. And God, now I pray that as we dive into your word, that God, that you will help us to see the things that you desire for us to see, that your spirit would illuminate those things in us. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we're going to jump in here. Now, I know, again, some of these scriptures are a little bit drawn out a little bit, but stick with me because I kind of want to get us a whole picture here of this birth. So we're going to start in Genesis 17. In Genesis 17, God is speaking to Abraham. Now, I'm aware that, that Abraham has been promised by God a son before this, but I wanted to focus in on these couple of stories for a particular reason you'll see in a second. But we're going to start with, with Genesis 17, 15 and 19, and this is what it says. Then God said to Abraham, regarding Sarai, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarai. From now on, her name will be Sarah, and I will bless her and give you a son 
from her. Now let's stop there for a second because at this point in time, God is kind of communicating things to Abraham, but God now is being very specific here. He's like, listen, no, you are going to have a son. Your heir is going to come from Sarah. Now, normally if we would read this and go, oh, okay, well, that's great. Sarah's going to have a baby. We forget that sometimes that at this point, Abraham and Sarah are kind of advanced in years, okay? Not to kind of spoil the story, but since I kind of called the first point the birth of Isaac, when Isaac is born, Abraham's 100 and Sarah's 90. A little bit well past the time where they're, you know, going to have some kids, okay? So God is communicating to this while they're relatively, you know, advanced in age. And he says, you're going to have a son from her. Yes, I will bless her richly, and she will become the mother of many nations. Kings of nations will be among her descendants. Then Abraham bowed to, down to the ground. Listen, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. How could I become a father at the age of 100, he thought. And how can Sarah have a baby when she is 90 years old? So Abraham said to God, may Ishmael live under your special blessing. Okay? But God replied, no, Sarah, your wife will give a birth to the son for you. You will name him Isaac, and I will confirm my covenant with him and his descendants as an everlasting covenant. At this point in the story, Abraham's kind of jumped the gun uh, with, with, and he, they have, he has had a son through another person, is, 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 you know, through Hagar, and, and basically Ishmael's that guy. And, and so Abraham is going, okay, I get it. Yeah, God, you're going to do this. You're going to bring forth this son. It's going to be Ishmael. And God says, no, no, you need to listen to what I'm saying. Sarah is going to bring forth a son. You're going to name him Isaac. Okay, but what's interesting here is Abraham laughs at God. He's like, yeah, right. I can just kind of picture this story. I don't know if you can kind of put yourself in that position. I don't know if you've ever been in that position where God has spoken something to you and your response is like, uh-huh, sure, God. Yeah, that's, yeah, mm-hmm, great. Mm-hmm, yeah, okay, yeah, that's, that's kind of what Abraham's doing here. But he's laughing at God. In disbelief. Now let's go on to Genesis 18. In Genesis 18, we continue on with the story. It says in verse 1: the Lord appeared again to Abraham near an oak grove belonging to Merah. One day Abraham was sitting at the entrance to his tent during the hottest part of the day. He looked up and noticed three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he ran to meet them and welcomed them, bowing low to the ground. My Lord, he said, if you please, if it pleases you, stop here for a while. Rest in the shade of this tree while water is brought to wash your feet. And since you've honored your servant with your visit, let me prepare some food to refresh you before you continue on your journey. All right, they said, do as you have said. So Abraham ran back to the tent, said to Sarah, hurry, get three large measures of your best flour kneaded into the dough and bake some bread. Then Abraham ran out to the herd, chose a tender calf, gave it to his servant who quickly prepared it. When the food was ready, Abraham took some yogurt and some milk and the roasted meat and he served it to the men. As they ate, Abraham waited on them in the shade of the trees. Where is Sarah, your wife? The visitor asked. She's inside the tent, Abraham replied. Then one of them said, I will return to you about this time next year and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Sarah was listening to this conversation from the tent. Abraham and Sarah were both very old by this time, and Sarah was long past the age of having children. So she laughed silently to herself and said, 
How could a worn out woman like me enjoy such pleasure, especially when my master, my husband, is also so old? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, can an old woman like me have a baby? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return about this time next year and Sarah will have a son. We need to ask ourselves the same question in a lot of ways that God asks. And that's simply this. Why did Abraham and Sarah laugh? You know, like, as you look at the story, I bet you if I asked, you know, 100 people, I bet you a lot of people would know that Sarah laughed, but I bet you there wouldn't be as many people that knew that Abraham laughed too. Abraham, Father Abraham, you know, with many sons, and we do the dance and fall down and puke. That, that guy, the father of everything in a lot of ways, is a guy that laughed at God. Why? Why did he laugh? Why did Sarah laugh? They've had some amazing experiences with God. God is appearing to them and speaking to them and doing some amazing things. But yet when God spoke to them with this amazing promise, they laughed. Why? Why? Why do we laugh when God promises us things? Now, we may not physically laugh like Abraham did. We may more laugh in our heart like Sarah did. But a lot of times we laugh because there's disbelief there. We don't believe it. But why? Why do we have such a hard time believing those things? Why? I think there's two reasons in this story in particular. Number one, it was impossible physically. To Abraham and Sarah, it was impossible physically. There was no way. Listen to what they say. We're 100 years old. We're 90 years old. Our bodies just don't work that way anymore. They understood kind of the seasons of life. And they just said, this is impossible. This is impossible. Isn't it, isn't it interesting that in our bodies, which God created, which God formed, every cell, every part of it, we tend to have that thought. No, that's impossible. My body just won't work that way. And so we disbelieve. We laugh. We also, it was impossible for them to get over mentally. It was a mental hurdle. They just couldn't get past I've met people that have that mentality when it comes to even the grace of God. How would God know me? How would God want me? If God is so great, why would God send his son to die for me? It's a mental problem. They laugh because they just can't figure it out. They forget at times to remember that God's ways are higher than our ways. And so because of that, they have a very difficult time. Look in your nose. This is important. Abraham and Sarah, like all of us, found it hard to trust God for more than what they could conceive of. We tend to do that a lot with God. We kind of put him in a box and we kind of say, okay, God, you can do only the things that I can understand or I can believe for. You know, God is not limited, thankfully, by what our faithfulness is, by what our understanding is, because it doesn't make a lot of sense a lot of times for God to do the things that he does. God seems to choose the people we wouldn't. God seems to be so gracious to us and so amazing to us all the time. Look at 2 Timothy 2.13. This is what it says. If we are unfaithful, he, meaning God, remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. 
God's faithfulness, sometimes it doesn't make sense because in our world, in our mindset, God should be faithful when we're faithful. But God is even faithful when we're not. When we can't conceive of it, God continues to do amazing things in us and through us. Now let's look at the end of the story. Look at Genesis 21. In Genesis 21, 1 through 7, it says this, The Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant and she gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. This happened at just the time God had said it would. And Abraham named their son Isaac. Eight days after Isaac was born, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded. Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. And Sarah declared, God has brought me laughter. All who hear about this will laugh with me. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse a baby, yet I have given Abraham a son in his old age. I love the fact that God says, listen, you laugh, you think this is great, you think I can't do something, whatever. Yeah, name the kid. Basically, Isaac means laughter. Every time they call out, hey, laughter, come in for dinner. Hey, laughter, can you come take care of this? Hey, laughter. I guarantee you they were reminded. I remember that time where we didn't believe God and we laughed. And now we have this amazing reminder of that. See, that's what God sometimes does in our lives. God will take our doubt. God will take those things that we look at and go, God, how? And God will bring it about. And then he'll, he'll put that reminder in our hearts all the time of these things. And this is what Isaac brought. He brought a reminder of something. And as we get into point two, this is what he brought. It, the birth of Isaac gives us the hope that God can accomplish the impossible. That's what he brought. Yeah, he brought laughter, but you know he brought something much greater. He brought something to his parents. He, now he brings something to us today, and that is his understanding that, you know what? God can do it. We can trust God to do the things that we can't conceive of. We can trust God to do great, amazing things because that is who he is. Look at Jeremiah 32. This is Jeremiah speaking here in verse 17. It says, O sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and earth by your strong hand and powerful arm nothing is too hard for you nothing is too hard for you in Jeremiah 32 26 and 27 it's like God responds to Jeremiah in this passage of scripture this is what it says then the message came from Jeremiah from the Lord I am the Lord the God of all the peoples of the world is anything too hard for me. I have a simple question that we need to talk about this morning. Do we have the attitude that basically says, you know what, this isn't too hard for God, but there's a line, and when God, that line is crossed, now somehow it's too hard for God. And here's the thing, when we say it out loud, we don't really believe that. We know God can do it. We know that God can take care of it. And if you're like me, I tend to have the bigger faith for other people. Like I go, hey, God can do that for you. But for me, sometimes there's a line where I say, you know what, God can handle handle it but it, once it gets here then somehow for some strange reason it's gotten too hard and God can't and the truth is there is nothing that God cannot do there is no situation that God cannot fix there is nothing that God can't do 
And Abraham brings this to us and throws it kind of in our faces. This, this idea that basically, hey, you think you're too old. Hey, you think you're too young. You think you're this. You think you're that. You think you're too sick. You think whatever you think you might have that you look at and you go, God, I just don't understand how. I just don't understand when. I don't understand. God will look at you and say, there is nothing too hard for me. We want to live like that. We want to have our lives radiate that type of trust and confidence in the impossibility of God doing the impossible. Let's look at Luke 1, because we see something here. You see, Abraham and Sarah laughed when they were confronted with what they thought was impossible. But let's look at another example where we see a little bit better how to handle this situation. So Luke 1 Verse number 26. In the sixth month, of the, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month of her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This was impossible. Will you look, will you really stop and look at the Christmas story? And here's the thing. You can't look at it like a bunch of people that have known about it since they were five. Okay. When we do that, we tend to kind of just gloss over some things, like we know the story, and you know, we forget about the humanity that went along with this story. Can you imagine being Mary? We don't know exactly how old Mary was. I've seen some ideas that she may have been 14, 15, 16 years old, a teenager basically. And here she is, and an angel appears to her and says, listen, hey, you're going to have a son. You're, you're going to have a baby. And at this time, this is not good news to her, if this makes sense. Because there's some bad things that happen to, to young ladies that get you know, pregnant out of wedlock. Or that are doing things like that. This is not a good situation. So she's kind of going, well, wait a minute. What, what, what do you mean? How is this possible? I'm a virgin. This is not, this is not possible. She begins to kind of go through that same idea that Abraham and Sarah go. This isn't physically possible. Mentally, I don't understand what, what is going on here. And the angel begins to explain things to her. This is what's going to happen. This is going to take place. And all these things. And he says the words that are so important to us today. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with him. 
And, and she finally understands that. When she gets that understanding, her response is not laughter. It's not disbelief. She simply says, hey God, if that's what you're going to do, then I will allow that to take place. I will yield to your plan for my life. Even though it seems impossible. Even though it seems like, how is this really going to go about? What's, what's Joseph going to think? She says, okay. She allows herself the freedom to believe that God can do the impossible. You see, what we have to understand is when we don't trust God to do the impossible, hear me here, we bind ourselves up. We, we, we live with a God that is not all-powerful, is not all-knowing, that doesn't have our best interests at heart, is not all-good. We just kind of say no to that, and we kind of put God in a box, and we always kind of say that, and you hear pastors say that at all. And what's interesting about that is we're not really putting God in a box. We're putting our own beliefs and our own world, we're, we're putting us in a box. Because what do you do? Because we will all face this at some point in our lives. What do we do with our faith? What do we do with our, with our understanding of the world when we are faced with a situation that literally seems impossible? And we really don't believe our God can handle the impossible. Listen, that is not a place we want to be. I look around in our world, in our culture, and you know a lot what I see? People who live with their God not being possible to do the impossible. They look at themselves and they go, this is the, I am, oh, good Lord, I am the only hope I got. I, I, I literally, that, that just saying those words like petrify me because I know who I am. If all I had to rely on was me, no thank you. No thank you. But our God can do it. Our God has the power, the authority to do it. There is nothing too hard for him. I want you to think about your life. Maybe it's today. Maybe it's, maybe it's happened in the past. What have you limited God on? What, where is your line, if that makes sense? Like, you know what I mean? Like, we have this, okay, over here to my left. Like, let, let's say the line is this music stand. Over here to my left is the area where I think God can handle it. God can do it. God can take care of it. Maybe you trust him with your finances or, or with your health or, or with your job. But then there's that dividing line. And when it goes over here, you can't trust. It's too hard. You see, whatever that is, wherever that line is for you, trust me, hear me. God wants to destroy your line this morning. He wants to take that line and he wants to throw it away. And he wants to say, no, no, no. I can handle it. There is nothing impossible for me. I want to take that line and destroy it because I want you to live in the total and complete freedom that comes from knowing that our God can handle it. That our God, there is nothing too hard for him. God spoke the very worlds, the very universes into existence. He can handle whatever we throw at him. Whatever we face, he can do it. So as we kind of close this morning out, I want to kind of bring a little bit of application to this story. 
so that we can hopefully take it and use it. This is our third thing we're going to be looking at is what, what should we do when we face the impossible? What should we do? Because here's the thing. I truly believe that God will bring impossible situations into our life. Situations that, that we look at and go, there is, there is no way, there is no other explanation, there's no, it's, it's got to be God. God has got to do that. Listen, I, I am a, a believer that we, that, you know, we, we throw around words, okay, and, 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 and we do that a lot with a lot of different words. We'll say things like, um, well, I, I love tacos, or I love pizza, you know, we, we throw around words, and one of the words I believe we throw around a lot is the word miracle. Miracle, okay? When, when I was just a little kid, and I don't remember this, I'm not, I'm not that old, but I remember hearing about later on, remember this, the miracle on ice. Remember that? Remember the USA beat the USSR and, you know, they made a movie about it. I think a movie was even called Miracle. You know, but that's what we call the miracle on ice. We, we had that, that, that really, and it, I think it's really cool too. I mean, but that really cool thing at the end of that game when they're just about ready to beat. And hey, listen, I remember when I figured out that wasn't the gold medal game <laughs> and how disappointed I was. I was like, they won the gold. No, they get to go to the finals. Okay, well, that, that's, that's kind of, yeah, okay, great. Yeah, whatever. And they did win the gold, but you know what I mean. And at the end, Al Michaels, what does he say? The clock is ticking down, the puck is going, and I don't understand hockey, and the puck is kind of going, and they're kind of chasing it or whatever. And what does he say? Do you believe in miracles? Yes! We throw around that word. Can I, can I help you with something? This is my view. A miracle is something that only God can accomplish. Okay? If you can accomplish it on your own, you did not experience a miracle. You experienced God being a part and you being a part of something, and that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a great thing. But a miracle is something that God does. We look at Jesus' life and we see this, these miracles taking place. What, what are those miracles? Blind eyes can be, you know, people can see. They haven't been able to see. Lame can walk. I mean, these are miracles. And here's what's great. If you're a Christian, you have experienced a miracle. You have experienced the greatest miracle that has ever been performed by anybody. Don't ever let somebody lie to you and go, oh, boy, you've never really experienced a miracle. Listen, if you've gone from spiritual death into spiritual life, that is a miracle and you've experienced it. But it's something only God can do. Your life can't be good enough. You can't do the right things enough. You can't recite the prayers the right way the certain times. You've got to let God do that and that's a miracle that takes place but what do we do when we're faced with those things what do we do when what you know when the doctor's report is literally there is nothing we can do when the bank says you have nothing when the business falls apart when your kid has totally turned away from the things of God what, what do you do in those impossible moments? And listen, normally I give you guys two or three. I'm giving you one today because I think in this one it encapsulates everything. And this is what it is. What do you do when you face the impossible? You embrace the God of the impossible. You embrace the God 
of the impossible. Now, to show this visually, if we were not in the world that we were in, I, was, I would have brought somebody up here. I, would have, I probably would have brought Zach, because Zach's, you know, he's a big old guy and strong, and, and usually when he gives me a hug, he, he like pops my back. You know, it's really great, okay? But I probably bring Zach up here, okay? Because I, I want you to see this visually. So I'm going to make you, I'm going to turn you back into five-year-olds, and I want you to use your imagination. Zach is here. There he is in all his glory, okay? Now, you got, you got a picture here? Okay, if you don't know what Zach looks like, if you're online and maybe you have never been to our church or whatever, listen, Zach right now looks like Santa Claus, okay? On a diet, okay? On a diet, okay? But he, that's what he looks like. So I want you to picture Zach up here. When I talk about embracing God in the midst of this, unfortunately, what we tend to do is this. We tend to, follow me here, instead of embracing the God of the impossible, we side hug the God of the impossible, we, it's almost like we don't want to get our hopes up. We don't want to be disappointed. We don't want to be snookered. That's a fun word. You know what I mean? We don't want to have a situation where we put our trust in something and then we're let down. So we kind of, we, we know we're supposed to trust God. We know that the birth of Isaac shows us that God can do the impossible. The Bible is full of stories that show God can do the impossible with the people that we feel like it's impossible for God to use. But we tend to kind of sug, side hug God. So I kind of, kind of get like, okay, okay, there we go. When I say embrace God to do the impossible, what I mean is I mean one of those big old bear hugs that you can get sometimes with people. The type that, like, like Zach, when he gives me a hug and I feel like the lower back go pop, 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 that type of hug. And because Zach is a bigger guy than I am, Zach kind of, like he kind of envelops me in that hug. And here's the thing, let's say I want to escape from said hug, that is not up to me in that moment. That is totally up to Zach. Zach will let me go when Zach is done giving me the hug. Okay? And that's a great place to be with God. So when I say embrace God, we tend to give God a, a little side hug. What I want us to do is literally be enveloped with the God of the impossible. To let aside all our, all, all our, our doubts, all our wonderings, all our laughter. And instead just say God and just allow him to go and hold us so close and so tight. To put aside those other thoughts. And what's great about that is then to not fight God's hands. Not fight the hug. Not fight the embrace. But rest in the embrace of God. Scripture tells us to abide. What's that word mean? What's that look like? To me, it looks like that hug where God just envelops us and says, I'm going to hold you here. I'm not going to let you go. I can do all that I can do. It may seem like it's impossible, but I can do it. I can bring about my will and my plan, and it's going to be great. My plan is good. My plan is great. Rest in the peace of my embrace. That type of hug. That type of embrace. Look at Mark 10, 27. This is what it says. Jesus looked at them intently. Intently. It's, I, I, I love the words in Scripture. He didn't say Jesus just looked at him. Jesus looked at him like, listen, you've got to get this. Okay? If I could get every face right in front of me and try to look intently, this is what I would do. Look intently in your face like Jesus and say, humanly speaking, 
humanly speaking, it is impossible. I love that word. It's impossible. Like, like there's a lot of things in our life that are probable, or not, you know, they're, they're not probable, but they're not impossible. You get what I mean? Jesus here uses a word that it's not possible. It's not going to happen. He says, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Please understand what I say this. Man, I love those buts. I love it when Jesus gives us a but. But not with God. Everything. If you got a Bible and and it's paper, you know, it's one of these old-fashioned things, and, and if you use your phone, that's no problem, because I think you can do it with your phone. I know you can, actually. I've done it. Highlight, circle, do something, put a, put a, a neon sign, and, and have, that, have that word, everything. Circle everything. Everything is possible with God. Everything is possible with God. I've had people come to me and they'll say, well, you know, Aaron, but, but this or that and blah, blah, blah. And I'll, 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 I'll look at them and say, does, does that situation, is that included in God's promise of everything? And they'll say, well, well yeah, yeah, it is. It is, it is. And I said, then it's not impossible. There are so many people in our world today who live their life in a life that is filled with impossible and hear me here as Christians we live and should live a life that is full with the fact the fact that we know our God can accomplish the impossible there's nothing too hard 100 year old man 90 year old woman no problem listen I have I, I've got to see her we were there for Thanksgiving it was so I saw my grandma my grandma's 90 years old I thought about this as I was putting this message together this week. It's like literally my grandmother having a child. I mean, that's just like, how in the world? But God says, nothing is too impossible for me. I mean, here's the funny thing. If you want to look at it this way, if this will help you understand, this was easy for God. You think God even broke a sweat? I don't think God even sweats. He's like 100 years old, 90. You kidding that's easy. The impossible is literally easy with our God. So as we close, I want to run some of these ideas past you to help you to hopefully, as you look at these things, you can remember these things. And these are in your notes. Number one, there is no promise too hard for the Lord to fulfill. There is no promise too hard for the Lord to fulfill. Listen, hear me. If God promises it, it will come to pass. Period. Done. End of story. Now, will it happen necessarily in the time you think? Nope, because you don't know as best as God does. God knows a little bit better than you and me. But listen, if God promises it, it is yes and amen. It's done. You can take it to the bank. You can embrace God in that promise. No side-hugging gods with promises. When God promises you something, it will come to pass. Period. There is no promise too hard. Number two, there is no prayer too hard for the Lord to answer. Listen, I love 
the prayers, and I believe that God loves the prayers of his people that pray for the impossible. That say, you know what, God, there is no other way except for you. There's no prayer too hard. There's nothing you could pray that God will go, oh, man, I don't know about that. That's a little on the side. No prayer. Number three, there is no problem too hard for the Lord to solve. There's no problem too hard. There's nothing that we go through. There's no, there's no, listen, hear me. There's nothing that keeps you up at night worrying that is too hard for God to take care of and solve. Okay? There's nothing. You go, but Aaron, I, I, this or Aaron, but there is no problem too hard. There is nothing we face that is too hard for God to solve. And the final one. There is no person too hard for the Lord to save. You know what's interesting? That last one seems to be one that a lot of people get tripped up on. They, they kind of have this thought, you know, but I've done so many things. I've, I've I, 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 this or that. Can the worship, you know, worship team, you want to come back up? We're going to close. And, and their thought is, is, is I, I, haven't, I haven't been good enough. You know, I, I've had people look at me and say, Aaron, but, but you don't know what I've done. You know, and, and my response to that is pretty much always the same. That's okay, I don't have to because I'm not the one offering forgiveness. The one that is does know what you've done and he's still offering it to you. Listen, hear me, whether you're here or online, you need to get this. You are never too far from the grace of God to reach out and grab you. There is never a case where you have done so many things. It's just, well, nope. I, God looks at us and goes, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You, you crossed that line. God can save. God can do the impossible. What did we talk about just a few minutes ago? We talked about one of the greatest miracles that anyone who's accepted Jesus has experienced. It's the miracle of taking something dead spiritually and bringing it to life. You know, we're impressed in, in, in our world today, and when we read the Bible, we're, we're really impressed with Lazarus. Wow. Wow, look, look. Jesus took a dead body and resuscitated it. He took something that had stopped breathing and brought it back. But yet Scripture talks about this fact, like, don't fear man who can kill the body. Have a healthy fear of God. Because he deals with the spirit. One of the greatest miracles that we ever experience. One of the greatest miracles that is offered to us is the, the miracle of new birth. You talk about Christmas and you talk about why Jesus came. And listen, we'll get into Jesus later on, all the things he brings. But one of the things that he brings is the offer of a miracle for you and me. 
an offer of forgiveness and grace. Because here's the thing I look at, and maybe I'm just different in this, but if God can do that last one, if God can save me, one, two, three, he got it, no problem. But if he can take a spiritually dead thing on its way to separation for all eternity from God and make me a new creation, to take all my past and all my shame and wipe it away. He's got your finances. He's got your body. He's got whatever you may face in your world. Listen, hear me. No matter what, you're, what place you're at, whether it's you need to accept Jesus this morning, whether you need to trust him in that impossibility, whether it's you need to let him take that, that line and literally destroy it, what we all need to do is embrace the God of the impossible. Stop side-hugging him. Stop shaking hands with him. Stop, I know we're in this world right now, stop giving him a little elbow. Embrace him and let him hold you and here's what's awesome about the embrace of God. You never have to leave it. You never have to say, God, God will never go, okay, I'm done. God wants to hold you throughout your entire existence. One of the great things about eternity is that embrace is going to be there. But we don't have to wait till eternity. We can get in that embrace right now. And let him do that amazing thing. So let's all, let's all quiet our hearts for a second. I want to I pray with you. And I want to kind of break this down for some, some people. For the first, number one, maybe, maybe you are feeling like you are facing the impossible. You, you're, you're, you're online, you're in your living room, or in your kitchen, or, or you're here, and you're just feeling like, like you woke up this morning and you barely slept last night, or you haven't slept in a month because you're just like, well, how is this going to happen? How is this going to work out? How, how with my job or my kids or, or the broken relationship or my marriage or whatever it might be. And it just seems impossible. Listen, this morning, I'm going to ask you to embrace the God of the impossible who literally, literally this morning is saying to you, there is nothing too hard for me. There is nothing that I cannot do. There is no relationship that I cannot bring together. There is nothing that you could think of, dream of, make up that is too hard for me. Let me embrace you. Let me bring my peace and my joy and my hope and embrace you and hold you close and let you know that there is nothing too hard for me. And I've got you. For others, maybe, maybe this whole message was just like, really? I mean, God would love me. God would care for me. Hey, listen, let me help you with something, okay? We're celebrating this entire month the story of your rescue, the story of you being bound, you, are, you in death and destruction, you headed to bad things, and basically Jesus came to bring forth life. Yeah, we start in December. We started his birth, but you know what? We don't end... Hey, if this makes sense, till Easter, when we celebrate his risen, our risen Savior. 
And no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, hear me. Listen to my heart and listen to God's Holy Spirit speaking to yours right now. You are not too far gone. You are not too far away. God can reach you. You have not done so many bad things that God looks at you and says, you know, I did love you, but now I don't. For you, the impossible is that God would love you, that God would send his son to, be, to live a sinless life and die and raise again on the third day for you. But you know what? With man, it's impossible. But with God, nothing is impossible. So you go, Aaron, what do I do? Embrace God. Embrace him. What does that look like for you? It's acknowledging that you've messed up. It's going to him and saying, Jesus, I've sinned. I've, I've done things that, that, that I shouldn't have done. But right now, today, I ask that you save me. I acknowledge that you are you are the Son of God. I acknowledge that you came and you died for all my mistakes and all my mess-ups. And I understand that that price has been paid for me. And I understand that you are who you say you are. You are God's Son. And I accept your love. I accept your forgiveness. And I now know that because of that, my sins are wiped away. My mistakes are gone. My shame is gone. And now I am a son. I am a daughter of you. And I embrace you this morning. So Jesus, no matter where we are, God, I pray right now that every single person that is hearing my voice today or 30 years from now, I don't care, anything in between, that in this moment, we, like we never have before, would embrace you. We would embrace the God of the impossible and trust you to do miracles in our life. You're so good. We love you so much. Let's all stand. John and the worship team are going to come and lead us in a closing chorus.
God. This morning, Father, we embrace you knowing that you got it all. You can take care of it all. You will take care of it all in your way and in your plan and in your timing. And so we trust you. We trust you. As we embrace you, Father, hold us tight. We know you'll never let us go, but help us to never try to get away. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, so glad that you were able to be with us this morning. Again, those are online. We love you. We miss you. We hope you're doing well. Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to all of you. Have a wonderful week and we'll see you soon.